our theme is relationships. And I know that we've all had all kinds of relationship. If you're married, you have a relationship with a wife. If you have a brother, you have a relationship with a brother. Everybody has a relationship with a mother and a father. So everything is a relationship. In fact, salvation is a relationship. If you really look at the Bible correctly, it's all about relationship. You cannot advance or get anywhere if there's not a relationship. In fact, the team has to have a relationship. A team without a relationship will not get anywhere. So relationship is very, very important. God, He called Himself love. He's love. You can't have love if there's no relationship. Who are you going to give love to? That's right. So no matter what you do, relationship is super duper important. And a lot of us, we've probably had these relationships and we've dealt with them sensually. What I mean by sensually is by seeing, smelling, tasting, hearing, and touching. We became a living soul and we have these five senses so that we can operate on earth. So all of the relationships that we basically have, even with Jesus Christ in the beginning, are sensual. I'll prove that to you. What I'm going to endeavor to do, and this is the first time I do this, I know I'm going to work hard today, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to try to get you to a place that instead of just having a sensual relationship with Jesus... And a vertical relationship with Jesus will have a, an invisible relationship with Jesus. Amen? Amen? Touch and agree with me as I pray before I ask you to sit. Father, we bless and we thank you. I magnify your precious and your holy name. I thank you for your purposes. I thank you that you have the world in your hand. I thank you that you have a relationship with everybody in this room. Lord, you know the level of their relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would grace me today, that you would give me the ability to convey, my God, to reach, to, to, to transmit what you have uh, shared with me to your people, my God. You said, feed my sheep and feed my lamb. Lord, I want to do that today. I need your anointing. And your grace in the precious and matchless name of Jesus Christ, I pray. And everybody said amen. amen. We, we, we can have a seat. We can have a seat. I, I just want to first, you know, being that it's about relationship, I got to share something very quickly with you. It's about my relationship. And if you really look at your life and where you're at, it all got you there by way of relationships. Were they good, bad, a mean boss, like Pastor said? And last week he spoke about relationships with other churches, but then he touched on something very unique and interesting is getting connected, getting plugged in. If you get plugged in and you need electricity and you plug into that switch over there, you're going to get electricity. We want to plug into Jesus because we want the Holy Ghost electricity. Amen. So <clears throat> my relationship, I remember my father had a relationship with a Christian woman. I was just a baby and she used to be my babysitter. Thus began, I guess, my life with the Lord. She asked him, can I anoint your son? He said, sure, why not? She anointed me with oil and prayed for me. Right after she anointed me, I fell off the balcony. We used to have a balcony. But I landed right in between the rocks in the mud, so I was okay. Shortly after that, I crawled out into the street 
and a truck ran over me, but I was in the middle, so I'm still alive. A little bit after that, I fell down a latrine. Hard. My father went down there and got me. I believe it's because I started that relationship with that woman that anointed me. God saw that and he had a relationship with her, so he began to bless me. I was a little guy, come to New York. There's a man who's a pastor, his name is Zapatel. I remember his name. In fact, I see him. Every time I think about him, my spirit just jerks uh, like John the Baptist in the womb. Because this man used to pick me up every Sunday. I didn't know what the heck was going on. He would take me to his church. My mother and father said, okay, take me to his church and let me just beat up on the drums. I remember. That's what I remember. Bah, boom, 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 boom. But I know that somehow that began a relationship that got me to where I am now. Okay? I got shut up. You, some of you know my testimony. Got saved, go to my father's church. At this time, my father's a pastor. But there's a guy in my father's church that was healed supernaturally. Uh, this guy was about 160 degrees opposite from me. He didn't know much English. Didn't know how to read at the beginning, but the Holy Spirit taught him. And he was one of the best counselors and mentors that I've ever had. Amazing. He began to deal with me, and he was with me, and he was counseling me and caring for me and so many things and that relationship grew so much we used to pray and fast and move about and do a lot of things together and that's how I got built up in Christendom I remember miracles I remember signs and wonders that God wrought through what we did in the streets in apartments in homes tremendous relationship relationships are so strong and so important it's unbelievable and his relationship with me was one like that one like Jonathan and David he's passed and he's probably singing with the angels now if he can see me he's probably rejoicing his name was Santana but this brother after he passed, I found out that he prayed and he fasted for me for like 17 days. That just blows me away. Why would a guy that doesn't know me or anything like that would fast for me and pray for me for 17 days and just give himself over like the Samaritan? These things are real too. And that's the kind of relationship we're looking for and we want to establish. However, those are vertical relationships. What I mean by a vertical relationship is the type of relationship we have in church. This is a vertical relationship that we have with each other because we're on earth. Tierra firma. You're my brother. You're my sister. And we have a relationship at different levels. Amen. But today we want to get to the vertical type of relationship but before that I want to share something with you uh, that it's interesting uh, and it's uh, I don't know if you've read the the account of Jonathan and David David the guy that slew Goliath David the guy that became the king of Israel a powerful man in the hands of God the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ is through David the Bible says if you look at it in the book of Samuel's first Samuel that David and Jonathan had a tremendous relationship 
tremendous relationship. In fact, in 1 Samuel 18, the Bible begins to say this. Check this out now. Their relationship. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. The soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. What a relationship. Jonathan loved David like his own soul. He loved him as himself. Now, Jonathan was the son of King Saul. David was just like a runaway guy. Are you with me? Yet there was a tremendous relationship that these guys were cultivating. Relationships have to be cultivated. They have to be uh, worked at. They just don't happen. And some relationships are mentoring and some relationships are just being mentored. But this particular one was one of the best that, I've, that I can muster up. Verse 3 in 1 Samuel, the 18th chapter says, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Powerful words. Loved him as himself. Loved him as his own life. Strong words. Verse 4, and Jonathan, the Bible says, he stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor including his sword and his bow and his belt. How many of you know that Jonathan was a tremendous archer? He was good. He beat up a whole lot of Philistines with his bow. Now here you have a prince. You have a son of a king. This guy walks around with David, the runaway, and says to him, I want to make a covenant with you. He stroke a relationship with him, a covenant type of relationship that went as deep as life and death. That he took off his robe and he put it on David. So he took off his princely robe and he put it on this guy that was running away, living in caves. Amazing. Not only did he give him his robe, his sword, his bow, and his belt. That represents a lot. In those days, if David was walking by himself and they would come to ambush him and they saw the robe of Jonathan, they would move back and say, no, you can't mess with that guy. He has a relationship with the prince. He has a relationship with Jonathan. What a relationship. What a commitment from Jonathan's end. He gives David all this. The prince gives the runaway this kind of stuff. We see something like that in Proverbs 24, part B. But there's a friend that stick it closer than a brother. That's the kind of friendship and relationship that Jonathan had, amen, with David. And that's the kind of relationship Santana had with me. I don't know if you have a relationship like that, but we need to cultivate that and look for that. In 1 Samuel 20, verse 41, David fell on his face, the Bible said. He fell on his face to the ground, and he bowed three times, and then kissed the floor, and kissed, and then the Bible says that they kissed each other. Jonathan and David hugged and kissed each other. What a relationship. And they wept together, although David wept a little more. But these guys opened up to each other. They had a, a, a relationship that was giving in both directions. A relationship that gives in only one direction 
is a selfish relationship. No good. How many of you had relationships like that? Those are the ones you got to keep away from. But we as Christians, we got to give and receive. There's a blessing in the exchange. As we give, we bless. And as we receive, we open up an opportunity of blessing for whoever gives to us. Amen? So they kiss. Two guys kissing. Two warriors kissing. The guy that slew Goliath kissing the prince. Because they loved each other. And they understood the value of relationship. Verse 42. And Jonathan said to David, Go in safety. Inasmuch as we have sworn to each other in the name of the Lord. They always swore to each other and spoke to each other in the name of the Lord. The Lord in between. Amen. Saying the Lord will be between me and you and between my descendants and your descendants forever. Verse 17. And Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him. <clears throat> because he loved him as he loved his own life. That's in 1 Samuel 23. Relationships are very important. This relationship here is tremendous. This relationship, as they said over here, I just finished reading, that it would follow them, even their descendants. If you read the story of David and Jonathan, Jonathan gets killed. And eventually, years later, Jonathan had a son. The son of Jonathan was Mephibosheth. And while he was trying to run away from the enemy, he fell down. And the Bible says he hurt both his legs and he was crippled. So he was lost for like five years or so. He was living in poverty. In fact, the name Mephibosheth has a meaning. It means one that challenges shame. One that struggles and challenges shame. So he was living, amen, in shame. He was living in poverty. But David remembered the covenant. David remembered the relationship. David remembered that he told Jonathan that even your descendants I'll look out for. And you look out for mine. So he gives a man, one of his servants, charged to find out if Saul had any family left. They found out that this guy, Mephibosheth, was still around. So David sends for him because of the relationship. They get Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth, who you probably eat and beg in the streets, he comes to the palace. He comes to where the king is. And David the king... It didn't treat this guy second hand. First class, bring him to me. In fact, the Bible says that when he got there, amen, he honored him and he gave him all of Saul's property and his belongings. And Mephibosheth grew up with David's kids. And Mephibosheth would eat, amen, with David, not on a separate location. That's relationship. That's real relationship and it's possible today amen. even though we don't see it all the time it's possible in Christ amen? amen so that's a vertical relationship and what I want to do is just tell you quickly because of time there are three types 
of Christian relationship that we need to understand and know. And these are all vertical. The first one is mentor friendship. Mentor relationship. Amen? Mentor friendship. Mentor relationship is the one in, that you mentor a, a person. You teach. You counsel. And you disciple that individual, that Christian. And the relationship is based, amen, on ministry like Jesus did with his disciples. Amen? The kind of relationship that I have with Jerry. Sort of. We, we, we always do a lot of stuff together. We hang. And uh, he calls me always at the wrong time. But he calls me to ask me a question. <laughs> But he learned, he learned, he's my, he's my buddy. And it's always the why. Amen? Now, uh, I hope I can do this, man. We're running out of time. I'm going to read uh, out of Matthew, uh, the 16th chapter, out of verse, I'm starting on verse 13. And just be reverent. Be reverent. Let your heart stand up and be reverent. Amen? Verse 13. It says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. I want to introduce now sensual relationship the five senses he's asking his disciples who he was with about three plus years who do they say that i am as you see the disciples gave him a potpourri of answers some say you're this prophet some say you're that guy some say you're john the baptist some say that this is all sensual this is all what they saw what they conjured up because of their sensuality in terms of Seeing, tasting, smelling, like I told you before, their intellect, their cognitive ability, where they were socialized. You know that some of these disciples, they were fishermen. Some of them were tax collectors. Uh, there was a guy, uh, the one that I really appreciate is, is, is John, because John must have been about 16 or 17. Okay, Peter had to detox because Peter was the older guy. He was probably already staunch and set on his way. John had new ideas and he was open. Amen. In fact, John, you don't even see the name of John in the book of John. He's the loved one. He's that other disciple. And I like the way he brings his relationship, his intellectual approach. Amen. So they were having a vertical relationship with the word, with the son of God. Amen. And check out what happens in verse 15. And he saith unto them. But whom do you say that I am? Now he narrows down the question. And you know who answered. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So out of the vertical relationship and understanding of Jesus, we now see a vertical, amen, kind of like approach and relationship that is going to begin. Are you with me? And that one is with the Lord. Now check out what Jesus says. And Jesus answered and said unto them, unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto you, 
but my Father which is in heaven. You could learn this in the University of Jerusalem. My Father, the Spirit of God had to show you this. You had to catch this. You can't learn this. You see, the invisible has to be developed so that the visible could really be seen correctly. Amen? So we have to work on the invisible because God is a spirit and a spirit is invisible. I want to get ahead of myself. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Blessed are you for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. So now he says, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Upon this revelation, upon the fact that you broke through and you were able to catch a spiritual revelation. Instead of a sensual understanding, now it's a revelation, a spiritual revelation. Later on, I'm going to tell you that Jesus, that God cannot be identified. He has to be revealed. You can't identify Him with your senses because you've never seen Him. You've never tasted Him. Although He says, come and taste and see that I'm good, that the Lord is good. That's a figure of speech. What that really means, come and study me. Work with me closer spiritually and see that I am good. Sensually, we will never have a spiritual relationship with the spirit of the living God. Sensually, we'll have and we've had a lot of relationships with our relatives, our friends, and even the brethren. The church, in essence, deals with the soul. That's why it's called the body. The body, and you're going to see it here because over here it says, because of this, I'm going to now build my church. Jesus says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. So the church begins because of this revelation. So the church, in essence, transitions you, develops you, it cultivates you, it teaches you relationships until you get to the place, amen? That you can catch that other revelation. And that is in the realm of the kingdom of God. So the church prepares us and gives us the keys to the kingdom. So that we can operate in the kingdom. Now to operate in the kingdom, you can't operate sensually. It's all spirit. It's got to be in the spirit. Amen? Man, I don't know what to do now, but I'm going to try this. So, like I said before, three types of uh, mentorships and relationships. The mentor-friendship relationship and uh, the mentee relationship, friendship. You could either be mentoring somebody, and that's okay. Whoever you mentor... You mentor, you counsel him, you show him, disciple him. and So we have relationships like that. However, a mentee cannot be mutually hanging in a sense with whoever is mentoring him. Because that person is in a higher understanding of the Lord. Are you with me? And then sometimes we are the mentee and somebody is mentoring us. 
So we fall in both sides. Those are two different types of relationships. And then there's a third one, the mutual friendship. The mutual friendship is the one that you have that the other person is basically on your same level. And that relationship has to be a give and a take relationship on the same level. You both have to feed each other like Jonathan and David did. Now there are five traits also of true Christian friends. Christian friends love sacrificially just like Jonathan and David. Amen. In John 15, 13 it says in part B, Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friend. That's big. And Jesus is the finest example of that. Amen. If we choose our friends based only on what they can do for us, we're out of what really needs to happen. Amen. Another type of Christian friendship is that one that accepts unconditionally. Christian friends accept unconditionally. That's in Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born, the Bible says, sometimes for adversity. But a friend, a relationship, has to be one that loves at all times. We discover the best of friendships with brothers and sisters who know our weaknesses and our failures and our messed up paths and our testimony. Are you with me? Christian friends trust completely. Proverbs 18.24, a man of many companies or companions may come to ruins. But there is a friend who sticks again closer than a brother. Amen. Christian friends keep healthy boundaries. 1 Corinthians 13.4, a relationship should be one that you're not getting choked by it. How many of you have relationships that they choke you? They're calling you very early in the morning, <laughs> late at night, over and over, asking you stuff. Knowing that you're married and you, you can't do that, but they still try to get you to do that. That's a choking type of a relationship. And that's the kind of relationship we got to keep away from and train and teach. Amen? Christians' friends give mutual edification. Proverbs 27, 6. I spoke about that before. It has to be a mutual kind of understanding. Amen? Amen? And amen. Now, what I'm going to try and do is get you to the invisible side of things. Okay? John 14, 12, and 19 says this. Very, very, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, and he that believeth on me, or has a relationship with me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father, and whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's a relationship. 
and I will pray to the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. You shall, yet a little while, and the world seeth me no longer, no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. Well, as soon as Jesus started talking like that, the disciples got like sad. See, sometimes because we like seeing and we're visual creatures, visual humans, we fall into that comfort. We want to see. So now he's going to leave. So they won't be able to see him anymore. So now they have to rely on what? They have to rely on the revelation that the Spirit gives them of him. Amen? Say you are anointed. You are anointed. Amen. And like I said before, I love the book of John because of how John presents it, his approach. Amen. In fact, in there you will find that Jesus is kind of like the revolutionary part of the Lord. Whereas Christ is the more conservative. At least those are the studies. Those are the scholars, how they debate. Jesus was so revolutionary, you know, that he was hated by the Herodians, the religious community, the Pharisees. Well, you know what happened to Jesus. They were hating on him because he was anointed. Because he had a direct contact with the Father. Amen. And Christ, the traditional part of him. Amen. So Jesus had to be killed. He had to die. No one could handle him intellectually. No one can stay at his level or deal with him. So they put him, uh, they try to put him in the common day parameters of their traditional community and attitudes. And they couldn't. Jesus was beyond that. He was counterculture. Jesus was revolutionary and totally different. So it's very critical. It's very critical. Uh, it takes... So, so, so what God does, he, he takes himself outside of our sensual perception, the plan of God. If you look at the word, the word became flesh. The word is from the root word image. So, no, no, the word is from the root word idea. God had an idea. He had an idea, so he comes with the word. And the word becomes flesh, and you know the rest. So the word also becomes the image of God. And all that comes from that root word idea. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. That's a thought that God had, which is, was an idea. Are you with me? Am I making sense? I know i got to work hard and fast. And I hope I don't leave you hanging. So he takes himself out of our sensual perception. Your sensual perception is, you know, what I told you before. What you can see, touch, taste, 
hear, and all those things that are part of your senses. None of us has seen him at any time. I don't know if you've heard him at any time. Has he called you at any time that you heard him audibly? Never touched him? We've never touched him. We've never really handled him. Um, we haven't seen him with our own eyes. We haven't he heard him. We, we, I don't know what type of cologne he wears. We haven't seen him. So sensually, we'll come up with all kinds of images and ideas of him. Okay? You know, uh, Jesus is never recognized. That's why the Bible says he is always revealed. Even when people look at you and try to judge your anointing, uh, they have to do it by way of perception. Okay? So Jesus has to be revealed, never recognized. If you look at the Old Testament, there was never an image of him. He didn't allow it. Because how could you have an image of an omnipresent God with the five sensual abilities that you have? That's why if you go to the book of Romans, you can see, you know, gods that had bird heads and five legs. And, and, and the disciple and the apostle Paul had to go there and get those people correct. Because they were making all kinds of gods out of their own sensual perception. So God has to do something. God has to take the mysterious, the mysticism of Jesus that nobody has seen, okay, and bring him from the invisible to the visible so that we can begin to see how God operates on earth. So the word becomes flesh. And that's Jesus, the Word of God. So when we begin to understand Him and have a spiritual, invisible relationship with Him, then we can begin to understand how God operates on earth. With our sensual ability, we can't. We could never have a relationship with Him. That's why we can't even understand with our sensual ability the peace that passeth all understanding. He gives you a spiritual invisible peace in the middle of chaos that your five senses are seeing and going through and everything is breaking down and falling apart around you, yet there is peace. Inside you, you're not falling apart. Why? Because he gives you that peace that surpasses understanding in the invisible vertical relationship. Not in the horizontal sensual relationship. Are you with me? How can I prove that to you? Very simple. You don't need cognitive ability and intellect to actually have that kind of a relationship with him. Let's Check this out. Let's go back. There were two, two individuals, two babies in their womb. One was named Joan the Baptist. And the other one was Jesus, the son of the living God. The Bible says that when Mary and Elizabeth came 
to close proximity. The only thing that was separating these two guys that were two babies, two infants that were unconscious. No cognitive energy coming out of the womb. They had no cognitive understanding. They were unconscious. The Bible says that when they became in close proximity, John the Baptist left when Jesus got near him. No cognitive, no sensual projection of any sign, but spiritual invisible revelation. Spiritual invisible revelation. The devil is a liar if they tell you you're too young and this is too difficult for you. If God wants to give you a revelation, the first day you get saved, he'll do it. So don't let the devil lie to you. That's why I'm trying to bring you. And I'm working hard. This is hard. Okay, I'm trying to get you to a place. So we have Jesus and John the Baptist revealed. Amen? So we can have peace that surpasses all understanding. So even though John the Baptist didn't meet Jesus, he had the revelation of Jesus revelatory, spiritually, invisibly. Jesus never read the Jerusalem Times, yet he was able to approach John the Baptist spiritually with the anointing. Are you with me? So, so this same John the Baptist, amen, now is born. Now he's an adult and he's moving about and he's baptizing people. In fact, he even baptized Jesus. And the Bible says that the dove, the spirit came on Jesus to reside in him without measure. In the Old Testament, he wanted to be in our midst, the tabernacle. Now he wants to be inside you. Now you are the tabernacle. Now you are the temple. Are you with me? That's the kind of relationship we have to get through and to to have the understanding of glory that pastor is talking about for this season, for this time. So here we have John the Baptist who knew Jesus even before he was born. Now he's born and he's getting a bit confused with his sensual perception. See, that's what happens to us. We use our five senses to try and do everything. Faith is not using your five senses. Faith is not rationalizing and reasoning. What the devil does is he'll say, how? And you go cerebral right away. And you try to figure everything out. And that's not your business. Your business is to believe God. That he's with you. That he's anointed you. That he's with you and he'll never leave you. That he, amen, gave you the power to become his son. And the power to become his son is the spirit of God. Greater is he that is in you. He guides you and leads you. Okay? So here comes John the Baptist. He's in prison now. And he sends word with one of his disciples. Go and ask that Jesus. Is he the one? (laughs) Or should we look to another? Isn't that amazing? Yet as a baby he knew him. Now as an adult he has a problem with that. I'm here to tell you this afternoon, if you have a revelation, don't let your brain talk you out of it. Don't let the devil take it from you. And that's what's happening to a lot of us. Because the devil is a lie. He tries to keep 
us in the sensual side of things. And God has a challenge. He has to bring us to an understanding and an experience, amen, with the Logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So he's got to bring us from the Christ experience and understanding to the Theos experience and understanding. He's got to bring us from Christology, Christ and all he does, into pneumatology. We need to walk in the Spirit. Amen? Walking in the Spirit. You know that question that they always gave us a hard time with? You're walking in the flesh. All that is is walking in the sensual five senses. You want to walk in the Spirit? Put the senses to the side so that you can understand the things of the Spirit. You see, you can't... See, just because I scream and go... "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm," That's that's not anointing, that's me. Some people confuse preachers with the... "Hum," Or when they begin to move about it. Wow, look at that anointing. That's not the anointing. That's them. That's me. I wish I was anointed when I was studying. Or just sitting. The anointing can be taken from you. You can't, you can't give it. It's, it's, it's there. It's yours. And we have to begin to understand the difference between the anointing and the um, f- fanatic, being fanatical. At the, what's that word I'm looking for? Emotionalism. And we mix up. We mix that up a whole lot with the spiritual things and what anointing is. The anointing could only be discerned. Remember that only discerned. Intellectually, you're not going to know who's anointed or any of that. So we need to start moving in our invisible, amen, aspect, our spirit, the one that will guide us to all truth. And I left my notes over here, and maybe in another month or so I can finish this because I'll never. This is deep. You know, when you get get into this, this is deep stuff. I've never been this route. This is the first time I'm trying to do this, Pastor. And it's hard. You know that. You know, uh, once you've spoken about something the second or third time or or near that, it it flows. But this is, I I was working hard. I had to break through. From the sensual to the spiritual. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Amen? And uh, he came to his own, and his own didn't receive him because his own were dealing with him sensually. Very religious. You know, they were set and staunch in their ways. That's why I like John. John was about 16 or 17. And he was open to fresh and new ideas. Amen? Did you get a little bit of this? Did it help you? Amen. Because the anointing is not emotion. The anointing is that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know that Christ is in you. And greater is he that's in you. Amen. And you can have a relationship that's solid when you have that, when you know that, when you understand that. 
Amen. Now to relish and enjoy all this, you must be born again. If you're here, if you're here, it's because he chose you for a relationship. You didn't choose him. If you're here, he chose you from the foundation of the world for relationship. And he is saying it's about time. Let's press and break through. I want to show you the theos. I want to show you the power that resides in you. That when you declare stuff, you know that you don't only have authority, but you have power because the power is the spirit in you.